Hey everyone, welcome back to Navigating Netflix Originals. As always, I'm Madison, and as always, I am joined by Jamie. That's me. It is. <laughs> um, and so for today, after a lot of reflection and discussion, <laughs> we have decided that we are going to watch and talk about the Netflix original series, not the movie, Dear White People. And we kind of want to preface this podcast episode by letting you all know that we are both white individuals <laughs> um, and we are trying to educate ourselves and become more informed about you know the black community and black lives matters which is like what this show deals heavily with um so it's our intention to bring more light to this discussion and to watch shows that are with a predominantly black cast and this one was also directed and filmed by you know black producers um, so we're, you know, hoping that we don't say anything that is sounds uninformed or offensive in any way, because that is certainly not our intention. Yeah, definitely not. And this series was also sort of flagged by Netflix as one of the pertinent shows in respect to Black Lives Matter. Um, I'm not sure of those of you who watch Netflix about a couple days or I guess sometime last week, I believe earlier this week, yeah. uh, Netflix started having a sort of... Um, intro page when you first logged in that was uh, essentially giving a bunch of different films and documentaries and series that uh, were promoting um, uh, Black Lives Matter and Black culture and things like this. So uh, we decided to start with this series and yep. uh, see where it goes. I will say, as Madison said, uh, we are indeed white folks and, um, you know, trying to get ourselves more informed and promote this predominantly black cast series. Uh, but if you are interested in reading about or hearing some thoughts by um, other uh, black Americans, uh, something that you could check out is the Atlantic article titled, How Insightful is Dear White People? And uh, this is essentially an article that is more so, more or less a an interview uh, with four of the uh, staffers from The Atlantic, uh, Van Newkirk II, Adrian Green, Jillian White, and Tanisi Coates, uh, who discuss sort of the implications of Dear White People, um, how they felt about the portrayal of Black students, specifically at one of these sort of Ivy League institutions, you know, which is a PWI, so a predominantly white institution. Right. And uh, yeah, so go ahead and check that out. I would really recommend it. I found it very insightful. Um, yeah. And uh, so yeah, we will now go ahead and jump into our discussion. Yeah, um, so it takes place in in kind of unknown location. They don't ever say where the college is located other than the name of it is Winchester College, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they don't ever say like what state it is. And I think we're supposed to assume it's in America, but beyond that, they don't really give a location for it. Um, and it's a fictional college. It's not a college that actually exists. Um, but the, the idea is that it's a predominantly white school, but it focuses on the small black community within the college. And it's definitely supposed to be like a comedy in addition to a social commentary on the black community. So there, I think that I read some criticisms online that the stereotypes of black students in the black community are kind of played up heavily within it um, and a lot of it for the jokes. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that entirely, <laughs> but I do think that a lot of the reason was because it is supposed to be a comedy as well. You know, like there, it's supposed to be a funny show yeah, um, I will say something socially aware. <laughs> right, definitely, and and this is um, you know 
the positive aspect of this show specifically, since it was, you know, written by uh, a black author and right. a screenwriter and, and things like that, is that it, it attempts to show the diversity of black students that would attend this type of university. And I think it does a pretty good job of that. But it is true yeah. that with any sort of 10 episode series, it's hard to get out of cookie cutter molds of individual students. And I think they did that well with some of them. Um, <laughs> and there are two other seasons. We're only talking, or volumes. We're only talking about volume one or right. season one of this series now. Um, but it's very possible that within the next two seasons uh, or volumes that these characters are expanded upon and um, we learn more about them. Um, right. But with what they had in the time period they had, um, I think they did a pretty good job. And I guess also... The each episode was either directed by a different director or directors just switched between episodes, which uh, also I think sometimes plays with that sort of with how deep or how characters are portrayed, um, right? Stuff like you that. Have multiple people writing, you know, for the same story it can kind of you get a lot of different <laughs> kind of trains of thought, you know, different directions that each each director wants to take each episode in. <laughs> they right. might not line up with one another. Yeah. But yeah, so this uh, series essentially picks up right at the end. There was also a film called Dear White People, which was even more heavily criticized from what I found due to that sort of restrictive nature and one sort of one-sided portrayal of uh, individual students. Um, But it apparently picks up right where that left off. Uh, which is uh, surrounding this sort of controversy of a blackface party. Yes. And I don't think that Netflix created the film, did they? Uh, they did. I don't, th- I'm not sure. I don't think they, don't think they did either, but I know that the uh, person who wrote the film also is the writer of the series. So right. I and think... they had a couple of the same character, like actress, actors and actresses play some of the same characters, but not exclusively. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so the whole kind of show starts off around the idea that one of the white people on campus, do you remember what his name was? I think it was Kurt. He's is the Kurt? sort of leader of Pastiche, which is a predominantly white newspaper, or I'm guessing all white newspaper. Um, somebody sends out an invitation to most of the campus to have a blackface party at his frat house. He is not the one who does it, but, you know, he kind of gets the blame for it because it's at his house initially. Um, So and and, but what kind of we find out within the next couple of episodes is that it's actually a black student who had hacked into somebody's Facebook account and sent out this um, invitation to find out like what white students would do if they were invited to a blackface party is like a social experiment, which I kind of loved. <laughs> oh, I loved it too. Yeah, the person, so the person who sent out was Sam, who yeah. is, I guess, it's kind of hard to determine who the real main character is here, but I guess Sam would be the main character. One, one um, of the main characters. Yeah, and Sam hosts uh, a radio show on campus called Dear White People, and right. uh, is, you know, attempting to force people to open their eyes to what's going on in the realities of Black life, essentially. And yeah, I love the fact that she did this. Yes. I thought it was great. I, yeah, because like her whole idea was that she wanted to show to like the institution of the college that racism is still on campus. I think because the college has a black dean, the dean is somehow under the impression that because he is black, he him being the dean has 
made racism disappear on the campus. Um, And she wants to show people that that is not the case. Look what happens. You know, all they have to do is get a Facebook invite to this party and hundreds of them show up and in this, you know, offensive blackface makeup and, you know, have a party. And, you know, like, and she's she's trying to, like, prove that racism is not gone from the campus at all. Right. And that's the thing, because, you know, uh, even though this was sent out, the you know, obviously the correct thing to do would be to be offended by it and not go. But instead, all of these students go. And, you know, although it wasn't sent out by this guy who who is sort of the what is it, the president of Pastiche or like the main yeah. dude of this group, it was still at his house and he didn't right. try to do anything to put an end to it. Right. No. So, you know, he's call the police he didn't you know try to kick people out of his house at all like he just was like oh shit this is happening (laughs) yeah and that's the thing and i i i would like so this was um released in 2017 and you know which just goes to show you that like in the past three years we have not made any real progress towards you know resolving any of the issues that are brought up in this show and i i really you know, I feel like even earlier this year or last year, we were reading articles about blackface parties. And I would like to believe that now this is something that wouldn't happen, but I'm not so naive to think that that's the case. Right. And I think that's like um, so many of like the white people um, in the show, like when they're responding to it, they're like, oh, I can't believe that this would happen. I'm so shocked and all the black students are like really <laughs> why are you shocked that this would happen kind of thing you know and I think there's just that that kind of disconnect that as if you're a white person and you're not racist you just kind of assume that racism is not around much because you're not experiencing it but for somebody who is experiencing it on a daily basis like the fact that white people would throw a blackface party is just like not surprising at all <laughs> right not not in any sense of the word and the interesting thing about the blackface party is that I think for the first like five episodes, we kind of flip flop between different characters perspectives of like what happened at the party and, yes. you know, how they came to be at the party. And through that, we learn more about people's in, the individual characters sort of personalities and struggles with what they're going through and stuff like that, which is kind of a fascinating idea to to work this series, I thought. Right. And I think one of the one of the things that I found most interesting is that all like within the the black community that the show focuses on, there's like multiple different groups who yeah. think that like dealing with racism, like they, it should be dealt with in different ways. You know, you've got Sam who's like, you know, with signs and protests and go really gung ho. And then there's people like Coco who think, you know, we need to go through the administration and, you know, kind of go buy the books to fix it. And they both have very valid points as to like why their way is right and will work better. So I I, I thought, I just thought that was like a very interesting take on it. Yeah. I thought that was really cool to have those, those um, different viewpoints. And I know that one of the, um, one of the writers uh, that were, that features in this Atlantic article also uh, mentioned how how interesting it was for them to to see someone like you know Coco in the series who in some ways is sort of like there to sort of speak the truth and remind people of the realities of what's going on uh, even though you know some of the things that she, especially in, towards the end of the season some of the things she yeah. decides to do are sort of detrimental to you know uh, to yeah. what's going on. Um, 
but yeah, I love, I liked that they had those different perspectives and tried to show that sometimes there are like multiple ways that of thinking about these sort of things and how you might go about accomplishing one goal or the other um, without saying that one's of course better than the other because each has right. their own value and each should be respected in its own way, right? And I don't, I don't think that the show does try to say that one method is better than the other. You know, right. they they just have characters who discuss why they think yeah. each will work better than the other kind of thing. Um, and they both and they both bring up valid points. So it's kind of it, it is hard to say which one would is more effective. Should we, you know, be out there, you know, protesting heavily, or should we be trying to go through, you know, the administration and convincing politicians? Probably it should be a balance of both <laughs> in reality. Right. Um, and I kind of like, liked that, you know, even, even in this a little bit, um, the, it shows that even the aspect of sort of uh, smashing things or that destructive side of the protests is something that's shocking even to the protesters, which is something yeah. that we see today going on where, you know, people uh, gather and are trying to have a peaceful protest and there's some sort of random person that decides to destroy stuff. And of course, yeah. we could go into the theories of, of who's actually doing that and whether or not it is uh, people infiltrating these sorts of things. And but, you know, that kind of happens at the end when Troy kind of not even in the manner of pr for the protest, but smashes through the window and yeah. everyone sort of quiets down and is shocked by the fact that that happened. I think um, that even Troy himself is shocked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think so, too, because, of course, Troy's lot in life has been to be, you know, he's essentially forced into being this always level-headed, appeasing to everyone type of person because the way that his father sort of raised him is like, you know, you need to be hyper aware of everything you do. You need to shake, which he says at some point, like, you will shake every hand, you will kiss every baby, you know, like everything to get him. Yeah. Like you will be the perfect politician because right. if you're not, you won't get elected is pretty much what he's told by his father. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he does get elected though, but. <laughs> you know, up until that point and when he smashes through the door, he is the perfect politician. You know, he tries to appease everybody with every issue despite the fact that he's being blackmailed by somebody during the whole thing oh my god um, yeah for for that the for sleeping with the student or with the teacher yeah that was like Bizarre. yeah it was that was surprising to me just to have that aspect of it like i guess it's all it's meant to show that you know troy is sort of not perfect not perfect yeah i was gonna say sort of not lashing out but um there's a word people say for acting out, sort of acting out in these sort of different ways. Like, you know, he's smoking some sort of drug, uh, pop, presumably, and shoving it, you know, trying to hide it under his cloth at bath, uh, bathtub, which is not the perfect hiding place for drugs. No, but... somehow nobody hides it other than a But yeah, so, you know, they try to show him, you know, as sort of the not quote perfect student in a number of ways. Um, I also I... think that he's just a normal college kid like a lot he of college is, or who wants to be and a lot of college boys in particular would sleep with an older oh, woman i was gonna say would would sleep maybe you know, that's like not an abnormal thing for a college student <laughs> that first you're gonna say like a lot of them are sleeping with their females professors no, a, lot of, a lot of like 
teenage, you know, yeah. to young, you know, early twenties boys, if an older woman came to them, which I'm assuming is probably what happened in this case, you know, kind of pursued him, like he's yeah. going to be do it because you know that's just how a lot of boys are not all guys but most <laughs> right and of sort of that of course that situation's interesting in itself because nika who's the professor i can't remember her last name but she is engaged or married engaged, engaged. To, a, to a woman um who is maybe unaware of the fact that things are going on although you know if you examine their interactions at any given moment it's pretty clear that they're like excessively flirting with each other and things like that because lionel notices like right away immediately as does coco yes the first time coco actually sees them together she makes that connection too i feel like it's made clear too that um the professor and her fiance are they're not happy together you know like clearly if you're you know cheating on your fiance probably not happily engaged by any means but not that that's an excuse for infidelity. But. Well, no. Well, that's the thing. I think I feel like at that point, just like drop it and you know break right. up, or be yeah. like you know go on the infamous break and be like I need a time to explore myself, which honestly was like the most frustrating thing about Sam for me was the yeah. fact that she was sort of like unaware of what she wanted in life, you know. Um, does she want to be with Gabe or does she want to be with Reggie? And then right. chooses the, you know, worst possible time to sort that out, essentially. Yep. <laughs> because not only had she like, you know, I don't know, things were going forward with Gabe and then she, you know, sleeps with Reggie when he's sort of um, at a really, a, a, having a, experiencing a really negative time, you know? Right, um, yeah. And that was like the, like, I can understand Sam's, I thought it was interesting that they showed Sam sort of um, attempt to work through what not only like society expects of her, because we know that as soon as she, her, the BSU finds out that she's dating Gabe, there's sort of an uproar. Right. Um, Particularly because she had written some article entitled something like, you know, don't, what is it? Like, don't date your... God, oppressor or something like that. So it's essentially, you know. um, That's what she's sort of doing. (laughs) Right. It's essentially sort of hypocritical. So I understand that point of view. Um, But then, but at the same time, see, this was one of the criticisms I read online was the idea that, like, it's the stereotype that it would be taboo these days for, like, a black date a white person and like what i was reading online it's like you know that's very outdated you know like like the vast majority of black americans today would not have a problem with their friend dating a white person that's just a stereotype they kind of played up on you know for the show you know um i can see (laughs) definitely 100 percent. and i think they tried to justify that showing that she had at some point previously been apparently staunchly against that yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree that that was a bit much. Um, <laughs> but I also feel like they almost played on that sort of aspect of it with why she finds herself attracted to Reggie as well. Because, yeah. you know, I think that part of it is that up until the point where, um, you know, the the incident at the party happens and, you know, the show sort of opens the topic of, about police brutality, I... You know, he had been very much active and like kind of her best friend and trying to help her, you know, promote all of this stuff, which uh, right. was also attractive to her. Um, but 
I, I have <laughs> to wonder if the show also was trying to, you know, have her rethink her relationship with Gabe due to like sort of racial issues, you know? I, I think that is what, because like for, for listeners, if you haven't watched it, um, the, the issue at the, at one of the parties, not the, not the same blackface party, party no. from earlier on. This is like just another party on campus. Um, it, Reggie gets into a altercation with a white student on campus who wants to, he, he's trying to like say that he is allowed to say the N word. He doesn't yeah. want to, told by Reggie that he can't if it's in a song he should be allowed to sing it so they, they get into kind of like a, a fist fight almost um the cops are called and ultimately the cop pulls a gun on Reggie because he wants to see Reggie's ID not the other person's of course just not. um so this is something that Reggie has to then kind of like work through and process um and I think and and Sam is one of the people that is there helping him through this and I think that she that's like kind of when she starts to wonder if she should be with a black person and she's always had this connection with Reggie. So maybe, you know, he's the person she should be with over Gabe, even though she just told Gabe that she loved him. Uh. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can understand like all these emotions are running through her, you know, like, you know, just sleep with him and find out if this is really what you want. And it turns out that it's not, but kind of ruins her relationship with Gabe. It doesn't seem like that's going to bounce back. Right. Exactly. But I also, I, I'm really glad that the series incorporated the party scene um, because obviously this is, you know, what we see all the time in the news frequently that's happening. And I'm glad it's getting more attention now. And I hope that it isn't swept under the rug again. Um, but, you know, we see the sort of disproportionate violence used against Black folks when they are in instances like this where both people are at fault. You know, if anything, right. uh, I think his name was Addison or something. The kid who wanted to say the N word was more at fault for provoking this fight than anyone there. Right. Um, and yet the white police or campus security officer who comes in doesn't care about that. You right. know, he immediately assumes that it's Reggie who started everything and all of that. And I think that based on what's happening in society, this is an important scene to have and was very uh, representative it, yeah. of what happens. The, it was one of those, like there are multiple moments throughout this series where I had to like remind myself that this was actually filmed three years ago yeah. and not three years ago. <laughs> but, right. And this was one of them. It's like the only thing that Reggie did to provoke this campus security officer to draw his gun on him was to ask, why are you asking for my ID and not the other guys as well? Like, why is it just my ID yeah. that you want to see? And that's when the guy drew his gun on him and said, show me your ID or I'm going to shoot you, basically. Right. It's like, that, that's well, not a good thing. Right. And while it goes even beyond that, because like the implication is you know, this is a campus with predominantly white students. Uh, why are you a black person here in general, you right. know, starting a yep. fight? And so it's not even the fact that like, you know, he wants to know his name so that he can tell the dean that this student was, you know, in the wrong or whatever. It's the fact that he assumes that he shouldn't be there in the context at all. He, want, um, he wants proof that he is a student and that he yeah. should be allowed to be there. And um, the students at the party are saying he's a student. Right. Don't shoot him. He's right. allowed to be here. He has permission to be at this party, kind of thing. Yeah, and, and the cops ignoring that. Exactly, and even thank God, but like even Addison is stepping up and being like, "Yo, we were just like fighting. This is, you know, it got out of hand. It's my fault." Like blah blah blah. 
And right. still, they just don't pay, you know, pay no mind to that. But that's what we see all the time everywhere, you know? Yeah. yeah. So something certainly needs to change. And I hope that in the efforts that we're making in 2020, that that will move towards some sort of change. Right. Um, awesome. But I, the thing that, that, that kind of frustrated me about this situation is that, in addition to the fact that it happened at all, was, <laughs> of course, but the fact that, you know, and this is kind of discussed too, which I'm glad they introduced this aspect of it, is that, you know, Reggie after this doesn't know how to react, really. You know, yeah. he is scared and upset and goes to his dorm. And we see the scene that's super heartbreaking where he's just like sitting against the door and sobbing. Yeah. Um, and what was kind of frustrating to me is that Sam, instead of coming immediately just to check on him, is like, you know, we need to use this as fuel for the fire. Yeah. Which I can understand that viewpoint. Like, it needs to be expressed that, like, you know, this shit is happening and things, this this sort of stuff, which we kind right. of pretend isn't happening, is. But also, and I think it's one of Gabe's friends who talks about being a public victim or something like that, where you're not allowed or entitled to grieve something that's happened to you uh, because you need to be you know, you're kind of shoved to the forefront as the example, the example of what's happening. Right. I think that Reggie even says at one point to Sam something along the lines of like, I don't want to be the poster boy for your protest. You know, yeah. this is something that happened to me and it's not something that I want to have you exploit basically for, right. for your protest. And that's the same thing. I think he says that after he, uh, she witnesses his poetry, right? Yeah. Because he says yeah. he performs this poem. Yeah. yeah, that's so, you know, heart, heartfelt and emotional. And, you know, in that moment, he's speaking his truth and it's, it touches everyone in the room, which is true. Uh, but immediately, you know, she's kind of like, you need to say this at the pep rally. And he's like, yeah. can I just like that poem is for me, you know, right. That poem. And he wasn't even reading it for anyone else in that room at open mic. You know, he was reading it for himself as part of like his, his healing process. And she immediately wants to use it as fuel for the fire. You know, And I can see why that would be upsetting for him. Yeah. And so I was glad that the show sort of showed that aspect of it as well, because I think um, sometimes people don't think about that aspect before they sort of put forth someone's story. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, so it was interesting. Um, I I think that this sort of thing, you know, after all that happens and everything that happens with Sam and Reggie, it kind of reinforces something to me that I always find sort of an, ups, annoying and frustrating in, in shows or movies is that people kind of always take moments of vulnerability that aren't kind of like this and then they somehow get shifted into romantic ideals yeah like can someone be upset in a film and have a solution <laughs> not to be having sex with someone <laughs> can it i don't know i mean not usually <laughs> <laughs> i just don't understand why that's always a thing and it's like you know is like i understand that some people might not view that as sort of like taking advantage of vulnerability but is it not? I don't know. I mean, I, th I think it depends on the situation. <laughs> like, like sometimes, you know, having sex or being intimate with someone is a good way to fix 
the problems that you're feeling, especially if it's with that person, you know, if yeah. you're having a whatever it can be a, a good way to rebound with that person sure. or to forget about what you're going through for a moment but i do know what you mean about it like kind of always being played up <laughs> it's like always the thing you know but <laughs> anyway um so one of the other things i wanted to talk about briefly at least is the character thane in this oh my show. god i so forgot about while, him while all of this is happening um, with the blackface party, with the incident, um, with, with the cop pulling his gun on Reggie, in the background, we have this ongoing tribute to Thane, who is a white student who they described as having the lowest GPA of any student who have ever attended the college, who got very drunk and thought he could fly out a window and he dies <laughs> because yeah. he jumped out like a three-story window and dies. And so while all of this is happening to the black students on campus, the white students are honoring Thane instead of like trying to help the black students who are going through, you know, these actual real problems. They're creating, you know, tributes and memorials and floats in the parade to this white student Thane. And I just think that just shows the oblivion of most like white people <laughs> that like somehow Thane's death would be equal, you know, to what the black community is going through. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's, you know, ignoring the fact completely that uh, Thane was of his own complete volition when he chose to drink excessively and then jump out a window. Nobody pushed him out the window, you know, he wasn't, you know, being threatened or he wasn't in a fight, you know, it wasn't anything that, you know, the death was 100% his own fault. I mean, it's sad, sure, yeah. but it's not on the same level <laughs> as what the black students are experiencing in any way. But yeah, one getting the memorials and the parade floats and, you know, all of this attention. Right. And, you know, we can... That was just a juxtaposition. In yeah. The <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we see that kind of come to a head at the um, town hall meeting when you have... <laughs> them pro protesting binge drinking and then it, i mean it, they kind of make it comical at the beginning when sam and in the bsu and everyone shows up to start their protest and yeah. there's already a process there they're kind of like what <laughs> <laughs> and when troy goes out to investigate and he's like wait what's actually and, happening right now and also like the idea that they're protesting binge drinking like what does that even mean like how do you protest binge drinking are you wanting them to make alcohol illegal on campuses like what what is your end game with this protest well that's that's the thing because uh i'm pretty sure that in most campuses alcohol is illegal and right. thane was probably not 21 when he was drinking so right. it's kind of like there's no way to prevent binge drinking aside from education you know right. what I mean? Um, but there's no actual actions you can do. Whereas like, you know, the BSU and Sam's protest is to encourage the administration to, you know, get rid of guns on campus. Right. Things yeah, that well, are actually I, tangible. Like they want the security guards to have their guns removed because that's, yeah. that's who gun on Reggie. Like that is the step they want to take, which is not, you know, an unreasonable step. <laughs> no, it's not. And also, you know, they want um, something to happen to the 
specific guy who pulled the gun on Reggie, that specific officer, which is something that should be happening. Um, And, you know, to equate it again to things happening now, it's so reassuring to see that finally, and I think this is in large part due to social media and the fact that everything is documented digitally now, um, you know, people who, uh, you know, the police, for example, who are pulling guns on people and shooting uh, black people for no reason uh, and other minorities to that extent as well um, yeah. are finally having to be held accountable for stuff. And that's kind of all they want. They want accountability and they want, you know, people to realize the sort of injustice that's going on. But and that's, that's what all the protests about like currently in our world and our, in our country are. It's not about like getting rid of all the police or, right. you know, it's just like, let's hold police who do, wrong things accountable for their actions instead of trying to bury what they do at the bottom of you know stacks of paperwork and allowing their unions to protect them like make them be held accountable if they commit crimes (laughs) they shouldn't be above the law that that whole idea that police should not be above the law right and also just you know reinforcing other methods of dealing with situations like de-escalation and you know trying to uh, deconstruct a sort of internal racism that is found in most members of the society, you know, specifically right. white folks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But yes. There's so much we could say on that. There's so <laughs> much we could say, but this is not a political <laughs> podcast. We said everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's try to not have a seven hour podcast. Let's, but Let's refocus on the event of this show. <laughs> but yeah, so um, let's go to, let's talk a little bit about Lionel. Lionel, okay. And he his, was one of my favorites. <laughs> I know, he's fun. Um, I, I think, see, this is where I'm kind of like, at least Lionel, you know, when they kind of, he has more depth to him than just surface level stuff. So, right. you know, I'm glad to see that. And I think it's also important to have um, representation for um, black members of the LGBTQ plus community represented yep. in the show. And we get to kind of see him sort of working things out and ultimately fall, going, falling into a relationship with Silvio. I don't know. Relationship <laughs> seems like a strong word. Silvio's <laughs> <laughs> just like his editor who kind of is really a hard ass on him yeah. through the first nine episodes of the series. And then when um, Lionel finally stands up to him, he just like kisses him. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that was a 180 right And there, brings but... him to the defamation watch party, but... Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think that sort of uh, comic relief with the defamation stuff is um, kind of hilarious. And watching, yeah. you know, it's kind of, you know, allows them to have a sort of, you know, moment to take their mind off of everything. And, yeah. and it's just like the dialogue and everything in that show is so ridiculous, but... I think it's interesting because at the beginning, when we first are like introduced to Lionel um, in the second episode, he's encouraged by um, his. I guess is it what who is it his like his editor is what what position does he play? I guess <laughs> so, let's say editor for now. Okay, <laughs> his boss somehow. Um, he encourages him to find his label because Lionel kind of you know 
is unsure, I think, of his sexuality or hasn't admitted it to himself that yeah. he's gay. So he's kind of like when Silvio kind of assumes that he is gay, Lionel's just like, whoa, whoa, you know, <laughs> like I, I don't really define, you know, mold to labels, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm independent um, from labels kind of thing. Um, so I think kind of by the end, he has sort of found one. I don't know. You know, he's he's admits that he's gay. He he is taking action, you know, yeah. to for the black community he's finally swearing to sylvia <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know so he seems like he's coming more into his own person and figuring out who he wants to be as an adult which is kind of probably what sylvia means by find your label is you know just figure out who you are and how yeah. you want to fit into the world kind of thing um so yeah, i was i was pleased with that development yeah and it's kind of nice that you know he of course and Silvio calls this immediately, but he starts with the sort of trope of like being in the I'm in love with my straight roommate phase or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's nice to see like the interactions between Troy and Lionel just because, you know, Troy obviously has no interest in him, at least in volume one. I don't know what happens in the next volumes. But, right. you know, he's obviously this straight guy who's... Um, but he's he's at least like very open and accepting of Lionel, and when Lionel tells him, he's like, okay, cool, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's kind of interesting that like as we keep going, Lionel learns that you know Troy has all these sort of complexities and secrets, and um, you know we have Coco again as the voice of reason who comes out straight and tells him like, you know, it's not all it's cracked up to be to be with him or something like yeah. that, and you know, trying to make him realize that, like, you know, this is sort of an idealized dream, but maybe you should be looking elsewhere and, you know, find out who you are. And and that's kind of, like, that's the same moment that Coco kind of pulls away from Troy as well and realizes that she, if she wants to be successful, she has to be successful as Coco, not as Troy's wife, because that wasn't going to happen. You know, her whole kind of plan for her future was dependent on Troy wanting the same things as her, you know, wanting to marry her and, you know, if she can be, you know, his, his wife basically. And that kind of becomes obvious that Troy isn't looking for that. (laughs) Like she realizes that if she wants to be successful, she has to be her own woman and, you know, make shit happen without Troy. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of funny too, that like, she starts not to like, you know, bad talk politicians, but she immediately starts playing that sort of like mani- manipulative politician tactic once they br- they break up. Well, I guess Troy would say they were never together. But, you oh. know, <laughs> when she, uh, you know, he goes to go to the town meeting and she's already there and has organized everything. Yeah. And then she locks him out of the building. <laughs> that was kind of Which shitty. kind of like is what prompted the breaking of the glass. So. Right she's partially at fault for that but um yeah yeah, and then she's sort of manipulating even the dean and being like don't worry i I got it you know and you know she's choosing the specific people who to ask questions to that she knows won't say anything uh you know questionable or problematic until she calls on lionel oh so good and this is like lionel's saving moment where like he is a journalist and he uncovered this truth about the hancocks who are you know pledging 10 million only if you know, certain racial requirements are met, basically. Um, And uh, I'm so glad that he called them out and, like, talked about that. Oh, so good. 
that was a really awesome moment for Lionel too. Yeah, <laughs> it was because like you know, for the longest time at the beginning of the season, he's sort of you know, and this is all has to do I think with accepting himself and who he was and like all that stuff as well. But you know, he was very very timid. He um, the first like real act of like stepping out of his comfort zone that he seemed to have done was to gather some people to go to the blackface party and you know sort of infiltrate the scene and be like what the right. fuck is happening here <laughs> yeah. um and we see him slowly grow in confidence and have the confidence ultimately to defy his boss and state the truth because it's necessary um, yeah. so he had a cool um a cool arc uh in terms of what was you know his character development um and i'm curious to see what will happen with him in the next seasons yeah as well as everyone else frankly i, I want to say that lionel is my favorite character i just really like him a yeah. lot <laughs> I, I think someone who's really cool too that we haven't talked about is joe or joelle yeah like um, a very I, underrated character i think i i really want to see more from her character in the next season like i understand they only had 10 episodes there's yeah. only so much do in one season you can't develop everybody to their full extent in one season so i'm really hoping that in season two we get to see a lot of character development for joelle because i think there's a lot of potential for her yeah and it's true that like joe joelle is really cool and i think she was in many ways a grounding element for the show as well because she ultimately was able to like you know talk to to many of the people and sort of be like you know work things out in a reasonable manner and figure out what's going on and have the open community. She's basically the representation of open communication, except when she tells Gabe to never tell Sam that he called the cops. Yeah. That was the wrong, <laughs> the wrong step, I think. But, um, but yeah, I really, I really would like to see more of her. It's true that like the, ca- the writers gave her a lot of those sort of like pop culture references that was almost like Juno level excessive yeah yeah <laughs> but aside from that and i think that was also part of giving the comic relief to the show um but it's you know i'm glad they they sort of so showed some you know we know that she's for example seems to be in love with reggie um yeah. and he doesn't isn't showing her much affection until i think towards the end maybe he was sort of beginning to realize that I think um, in the very last episode when she kind of asks him straight out, like, is there anything happening between yeah. you and Sam? And he, when he says, no, there's not, and starts eating, like, her popcorn with her, yes. you know, I think that we're going to see them probably at least attempt a relationship in season two. <laughs> so good, because, yeah, we learned that she's kind of always, you know, they're basically like the three of them are sort of the squad, right? Joelle right. and Reggie and Sam. And, you know, we learned that... Sam is unaware of things that Reggie's likes and does like open mic nights and stuff like that. Whereas Joelle had been supportive and there the entire time. So I think some of that maybe also put, you know, her affection feeling towards Reggie to the forefront as well. And she helped him get through his poem in the studio when Sam sort of ran out. Go and talk to game. Yeah. Yeah. I was, go ahead. I don't know that we're going to see a reunion of Sam and Gabe in the next season. It seems like maybe um, Sam and Coco's relationship will be more yeah. in season two than um, Sam and Gabe. And I'm okay with that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Gabe. 
like Coco better as a character than Gabe anyways. I mean, Gabe's fine, but he's kind of just like wallpaper paste. Like Kind of, yeah. Supportive, <laughs> but, you know, not super interesting. <laughs> right. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, he's kind of the generic white guy in many ways. And I... I thought it was kind of funny that I think Joelle was the one who did it both times. At one point she was like, oh, he's kind of like that generic guy, the generic white guy that you find in a picture frame yeah. or something. And yeah, I wrote that quote down. <laughs> and then later on, she's like naming a bunch of, she's like, I kind of getting, I'm getting to see it. He's got that sort of Zac Efron, Ryan Reynolds, something else vibe. And Sam's like, are you just naming a bunch of generic white guys? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's nice that they show, I guess, like, you know, um, someone who's, you know, just purely in love with Sam and he he wants to do the right thing. And, you know, in many ways he does and he's trying to be very supportive of it. Um, I do think that he it shows him uh, at one point when is it Reggie's talking to him or something? I feel like maybe at times he's like a little too sensitive about things, but it was interesting that they went, they tried to go into his aspect of things as well, I suppose. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest problem with Sam and Gabe is that Gabe knew what he wanted. He knew that he wanted Sam. He didn't care, you know, that there was racial differences that didn't matter to him at all. He loved her. He wanted to be with her. Whereas Sam had no idea what she wanted. Like she liked Gabe. that she was being truthful when she tells him that she loves him, but she still doesn't really know what she wants. And it's hard to be in a relationship with someone when you really have no idea what you want out of it. That's the thing. Yeah. And yeah, who knows what will happen in the next, next couple of volumes if if they'll get together or, or I don't know, but you know, he also kind of, you know, brings up the point that, you know, she, she's never, he says something like you're never there when I need you and stuff like that. So I think that's part of her, like not wanting to get too emotionally attached to him yeah, and stuff like that uh, because she's unsure of what she wants until she does sleep with Reggie and realizes that's not what she wants. Um, But then it's too late. She's already slept with somebody else. (laughs) That's the thing. And it's like, you need, I don't know. Like that could have also been taken care of. Like it might not have been the easiest conversation to have to be like, I, you know, I I really have feelings for you, but I, I have doubts and I'm unsure, you know, I don't know if you can tell your partner, like, I would like to go sleep with Reggie to find out if I have feelings for him, like, is not the best way to go about it. But I don't know, can you introduce a break or something? I don't know. <laughs> well, and I feel like she didn't need to sleep with Reggie to find out if that was no. what she Like, I feel like a good conversation with both Gabe and Reggie, you know, where she was honest about her feelings probably would have summed up most of her, you know, confusion. But instead of trying to have a difficult conversation, she just solves the problem by sleeping with Reggie. Well, Um, and and I think that's another kind of trope that's brought up in movies and films as well, is that, like, you don't really know someone or you don't know if you have feelings for someone until you've slept with them. And I'm like, that's not how a relationship should be based. Like, (laughs) what are we doing here? Like they clearly get along good as friends and stuff, but like you would think, I don't know, as you say, like a conversation or I don't know, something else could also prove that to you. You know what I mean? You have to keep in mind that these are also college age students. (laughs) 
That's so these ideas are, you know, a little above their pay grade. <laughs> it's true. And that's kind of an important thing to remember um, for all of us who've watched um, the series as well, is that it is true that this is a series that is very politically and racially charged and, you know, has very important messages to, to spread and, you know, bring to the forefront. But ultimately, it is also uh, a sort of satire about college life right you know? exactly. it's, it's made to be something like you said that ha- brings up a lot of very important issues that need to be discussed and handles them fairly well but it's also it's a comedy you know it's a satire on college life so it's you know trying to balance both of these very different you know styles yeah. <laughs> of, of show and I, it does a decent job you know at keeping it funny and lighthearted sometimes and also really you know pulling attention to important issues at others. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, so I think that's pretty much all the talking points that I had. I'm sure there's so much more that can yeah. be discussed in this episode, but I also don't want to keep the episode going on and on. This this podcast episode could have been much longer if we just wanted to talk about all of the issues that are, are wrong in the world that are represented in yes. this show. We could go off on a lot of tangents that we won't do (laughs) yeah exactly we'll keep this under an hour um (laughs) but do you have uh should we talk about a couple of quotes that we enjoyed about uh, yeah i've got got some funny quotes and i've also got a couple of like you know important quotes i guess is the way to put that um i'm gonna start with my funny ones okay okay um labels keep people in florida from drinking windex (laughs) (laughs) oh my god true Um, I liked uh, when in episode one when um, Jo Joelle calls some oh she's watching videos about yoga or something and she says white bitch in Texas and Sam just turns to her and she's like is white bitch in Texas her government name? <laughs> um, I like when Lionel says um, <laughs> vaginas are like art at an, a museum beautiful to look at but don't touch. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And Troy's just like, ah, I disagree with that. <laughs> right. Um, I also liked uh, this. There's the entire scene before Reggie presents his poem uh, where they are at that club and some girl does a dance about racism or something. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. it is this very interpretive, confusing dance. And yeah. <laughs> at one point, done they're by just. A white girl. <laughs> yeah, done by a white girl. At one point, she's like raising the roof and. I think Reggie says something like, she's raising the roof off ra- off of racism right now. And there, I don't know, that entire scene was like the funniest. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't like Thane as a character, but it was funny when he said, there's some quality milfs up in here, but I need about six more whiskey- whiskeys before I taste that early bird special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like when when Sam and um, Gabe are talking about their relationship name, and she's like, "Can we be Gam?" And he's like, "Like an old timey lady leg." <laughs> Check out the Gam. I also liked it when Gabe Gabe is trying to say something like serious. Um, he says, "The longer this goes on, the worse it gets." And then Al, who's one of the other black students, says, "Like a toothy blowjob." Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, there's also, I didn't write down the full quote or anything, but, um, I really liked, and maybe you have it. I liked the scene at the, where were they? Were they at the party? Oh, when one of the student, the white students says something like, 
uh, I think we should do what they do and what they did in Germany or something like that uh, <laughs> to solve the issues. And they're like, everyone is like, what? Everyone in the room stops talking and looks at them. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I mean, you know, educate people about their history or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And they're all like, oh, yeah, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that's all of my funny ones. I have a couple serious ones okay. on topics here. Um, when Sam says cops everywhere staring down the barrel, barrel of a gun at a black man don't see a human being, they see a caricature. Yeah. I don't have any more quotes, so you can okay. continue. Oh, here. Oh, no, there's two of them. Um, when Sam says these aren't freak accidents, they happen way too often for us to not do more. And that's when she's talking about the 17 year old boy, Caleb, who was killed by the police right. <clears throat> and still relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then Troy at the end, when he's breaking up with Coco, when he says, you don't like me, you like the idea of me. Yeah, which is true. Yep. But yeah, oh so God. that's pretty much uh, volume one of Dear White People. Um, uh, highly recommend watching it. Absolutely. There's there's so much about this show that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone listening you should watch it and you should recommend it to everyone you know. That's the thing. And, you know, now is a time uh, where we should be doing everything that we can to, you know, make these sort of issues known and aware to people and do our part to uh, support Black Lives and the Black Lives Matters movement as much as we can. And, you know, I realize that in a time of quarantine, um, you know, it may be... Um, you may hesitate to want to go out and actively protest because of social distancing right. and things like that. Um, but there are many other ways that you can help support and promote the movement as well, uh, whether that be monetarily or even having discussions with your family about right. racism. And one way to open that discussion would be to watch a series like this and then right. discuss. Um, so please do that. Please keep doing what you can to support the movement and it's very important that if, if you are a white person, do not assume that you understand what people of color are going through, you know, because it's never something that we're going to be able to really fully comprehend the idea that our skin color could get us killed just running an errand, you know, like that's just something that if, unless you've lived it, you're not going to be able to understand what that feels like. But try you know educate yourself watch shows like this read things online talk to people of color you know do everything you can to try to to, to educate yourself and to try to to learn more about what they're experiencing 100 percent. and remember that it is not a person of color's job to educate you this right. is there's so many resources there's so many books there are so many podcasts that you could be watching uh, in order to learn more about everything that's going on from a black perspective or the perspective of a person of color. You know, really? people of color have enough going on in their lives that they do not need to be your teacher in this respect as well. Or your therapist. <laughs> or your therapist. And, you know, realize that if you are feeling bad about things as a white person and, you know, these are bringing up difficult feelings for you this is normal and this is something you this is good something that you need to work through but you know you need to work through that on your own time okay exactly so yeah yep we'll end there so thanks everybody uh for listening 
Uh, please reach out if you want to discuss anything, if you have any questions or comments. And also, um, you can always feel free uh, to let us know if you'd like us to watch or discuss anything else. You can do so by hitting us up on Twitter at NNO Podcast. Or you can send us an email at navigatingnetflixoriginals at gmail.com. And if um, us discussing seasons two and three of the show is something that you would be interested in, in hearing us talk about, please, you know, let us know because it's already something we're leaning towards doing. Yeah. So, all righty. Thanks, everybody. Thank you all. Goodbye. Bye.